Hey everybody, welcome back to The Drive Home with Timothy. My name is Dustin. I'm here with Timothy alongside. Um, we appreciate you coming back for another episode. Um, every week that we get to do this now is kind of a surprise and a treat, not just because we haven't been canceled or kicked off the air yet, but because the world exists at all. Um, it's an interesting time to be alive. If we just start back at the beginning of 2020 and catch ourselves up, today is the 7th of May. So this this year began with one of Earth's seven continents on fire. All the koalas and all the kangaroos, they're all dead. They've been barbecued and they're gone now. Um, not very long after we we're worried about that, um, tragically we lose Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna um, in a helicopter crash, which was terrible. And just as we're trying to come out of that fog, here comes coronavirus coming from China. And nobody knows exactly what it is. Is this the one that's going to kill us or is this no big deal? Is it just the flu? Half the country thinks it's a hoax. The other half thinks that we should probably never go outside again. The truth, as always, ends up being somewhere in the middle, but we don't go outside for a while anyway. We're stuck inside watching a, a pointless documentary about a gay tiger enthusiast who turns heterosexual men into his husbands. Um, and once that smoke clears and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, things are starting to look like you might be able to go to the park again or go to a restaurant and actually sit down instead of just bringing it home to your family. Now we got, now we got murder hornets. And th- uh, we didn't even talk about it. There were a couple near misses with asteroids Uh, somewhere in there where maybe the planet was going to be destroyed. NASA was like, we don't think they're going to hit us, but you never really know until you know. Um, We missed out on that. At some point in there, the Pentagon was like, hey, we want to make sure you guys understand that aliens are real and they've been here. And here are some videos of the UFOs. So go ahead and take a look at that because we know you're not freaked out enough. Um I mean, I don't know what's next. We're going to have, like, the government's going to come out and be like, hey, here are ghosts. We have ghosts now, and they're on camera too. But now now we're dealing with murder hornets, which I think are irresponsibly named. I Look, I get why they're called murder hornets, because they murder the bees. They, they chew the bees' heads off or whatever, and they can kill, depending on what you read, between three and 3,000 bees per second. I don't know. Um but it doesn't it seem like maybe we shouldn't call them murder hornets? Maybe it sounds like a, a six-year-old named them. So like, what did they do? They kill bees. Okay, murder hornet. Because if we're going to start calling stuff just what it does, yeah, I get that they murder, but you know what? Tigers murder. All right, so from now on, a tiger, you're a murder tiger. And a bear, you're a murder bear. And a spider, you're going to be a bitey spider. And a, a fish, now you're a swimmy fish. Like, we, that's not how we treat the animal kingdom. And, and frankly, I don't think it's fair to these murder hornets. They're supposed to have a Latin name. It's supposed to be like, like Flesimus Maxial or something. And then you get to, there's a whole documentary about how they're actually interesting creatures and they have a social hierarchy or whatever else. And right. And we just immediately were like, welcome to America. You're a murder hornet. We're going to treat you badly and try to eradicate you immediately. And I think until NPR comes out and does a three part audio series 
on what it's actually like to be a murder hornet. And my name's Terry Gross. And we're going to talk to, we're speaking with one of the lead murder hornets. Can you tell me what was hurtful about the way you were treated? And after the end of that whole thing, we're finally going to get to find out what is real. Because maybe they're going to come here and eat all the bees. You know what? Maybe the bees have it coming. Maybe we'll find some other way to pollinate. Um, Or you know what? Maybe this is it. Maybe maybe the end has come. That everything else is burning, why not that? And then I just saw today that there's something called a gypsy moth that just showed up in the state of Washington, and they're they're calling that, um, it's one of those, like, I don't know if they called it a national crisis or like an emergency, there was an emergency proclamation saying, careful, these gypsy moths are going to have a, a pestilence, what's the word for... No, the word when it's a uh, when it's like bugs, it's not a plague. A plague is a disease. No, pestilence is disease too, isn't it? Famine is food. Or not. Why did I even ask you? It's that thing where, like, I don't know, a plague of locusts. Maybe it is a plague. I don't know. I don't know. Apologies to Timothy. You're clearly way more helpful than I give you credit for. He said sarcastically. So. um but now we got the gypsy moths, and so we have an emergency decree, which I don't... What's that going to do? The moth's going to be like, oh, they declared an emergency. Let's all pack it up and go back home. Um, everything else is going wrong. Let's just let the food supply dwindle because the bees are gone. Everybody get your favorite beverage and put your rocking chair on the back porch, and let's all just watch the sun go down together. Um, it may not be as bad as all of that, but... The point is, things are a little rough right now. I had the thought this morning, somebody asked me, how you doing? And that's a real question now. <laughs> that used to be hello, but now people are like, hey, really? How, how you doing? Do you, do you need anything? Or do you have toilet paper? You get, have hornets in your backyard? Um, but the only correct response to that right now, the, the, when, somebody, when I was asked, how you doing, the, the lyric from the old Smash Mouth song, it's weird to say old Smash Mouth song because I feel like they're still new, but that was like 20 years ago that they were a thing. Remember that guy, that huge guy with the Hawaiian shirts? And he, <laughs> yeah, he's, it was like basically like a truck driver was like, I'm going to make an album now. And then he made an album. Um, but the, the lyric from his song, um, my world's on fire, how about yours? That's the only correct answer. Now, how you doing? Oh, my world's on fire. How about yours? Oh, mine is too. All right, cool. Um, I'd give you a hug, but I can't get close to you. So anyway, things are a little bit rough right now, but I think there might be hope in the abandonment of hope. Um, and I would try to explain that, but I don't, I don't know if I really have the capacity. But once you just let go of the thought that everything needs to get better and just sort of embrace what is then you just kind of feel better, and then maybe things just return to normal after that. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Um, this is not going to be a Buddhist philosophy class, and it's not going to be a, a farewell to humanity, I hope. We're going to talk a little bit about um, a couple of historical figures. The first one I want to bring up is somebody named um, Richard Lawrence. And many of you probably have never heard of Richard Lawrence. I certainly hadn't until I was doing a little research on... Um, some events from history. And Richard Lawrence was 
a crazy person, like a legit crazy person. He was born around 1800, 1800, 1801, somewhere in there. They don't know exact his exact birthday. He died in 1861 in a mental institution. Um, seemed like a normal kid, but he, in his uh, early adulthood, he became a house painter. And they think maybe from sniffing all the fumes from uh, Huff and Paint back in the day, he was like one of the OGs who first got into Huff and Paint, probably did meth too. He was nuts. Um, his brain kind of went a little crazy. He got really paranoid and became schizophrenic. And it's kind of a sad story when when you put a diagnosis on it. It's when you call somebody crazy, then it's like, yeah, you're crazy. And then you're like, yeah, schizophrenia. Oh man, that's kind of a bummer. But, um, in any case, he, he was a house painter who ended up losing his job as a house painter because he went nuts. And he believed himself to be the rightful king of England and ruler of the United States of America. And um, he believed that his father was killed in 1832 by Andrew Jackson, um, which does not appear to be the case because Andrew Jackson lived in the United States of America and Lawrence's father lived in England and never went to America. Also, his father died in 1823. So um, more than likely, it was not the case. But in 1835, um, this guy decides he's going to do something about it. He also believed that he was owed money by the U.S. government because he owned the U.S. And his thought was, if I can kill Andrew Jackson then Vice President Martin Van Buren will become the president, and he's a good guy, and he'll give me money. So his goal was, let's go ahead and kill Andrew Jackson. This became the first assassination attempt on a president in U.S. history. So he finds out about, there's a memorial service for a congressman who has died at the Capitol, and back then you could just go to the Capitol and just like watch people walk around and sit around with guns and stuff, and nobody thought it was weird. Um, back in the day, but, um, now you probably couldn't do that, which is good. So if any of you think that where this podcast is headed is me encouraging political assassinations, that's not where I'm going. Um, I don't like this president. I didn't like the last one. I won't like the next 10. That's, uh, my problem is with authority. Um, but the, the, all of this brings, uh, Richard, Lawrence to the U.S. Capitol to kill Andrew Jackson. Now, Andrew Jackson at the time is in his, uh, let's see, I think he's in his second president. Yeah, he's, he's in his second presidential term. He's 67 years old. He looks sick. He's pretty skinny, kind of tall. He's hunched over. And, um, and Lawrence here is only 35 years old. He's in pretty good health, uh, physically anyway. And Andrew Jackson, if you don't know anything about him, this dude is a bad mamba-jamba. He, they called him Old Hickory partly because he carried a wooden cane around with him and he was not afraid to hit people with it. Um, depending on which historian you believe, Andrew Jackson was, he had somewhere between five and about a hundred duels in his life. So even if it's five, five is a lot of times to look somebody in the eyes and be like, either you or I has to die. I can't, I'm not going to be here on this planet with you anymore, but maybe up to a hundred. And in one case, before he was president, um, 
some newspaper dude wrote some wrote a mean thing about him, called him a scoundrel or something. And so he challenged him to a duel. This is like the most baller move you can imagine out of a president. Um, well, he wasn't a president, but just out of a person. Um, he, he challenges this guy to a duel. So they meet up for the duel the next morning. And um, so what happens is when, it, when they count off the paces and everything and it's time to fire... Andrew Jackson just stares this dude down, doesn't draw his gun, and lets the other guy draw first, and he fires a bullet straight into Jackson's chest. Jackson takes a second to compose himself, and then draws his weapon and shoots the other guy dead. The bullet that entered his chest missed his heart by about an inch, and he carried that bullet with him until the day that he died. It also broke a couple of ribs on its way in, caused a whole bunch of pain, and almost killed him. It was one of two bullets that Andrew Jackson carried in his chest. He was just a bad dude. So you think he's going to let this, you know, crazy pants Richard Lawrence come in and kill him after a a funeral? You got another thing coming. What happened is um, the guy, Lawrence, actually wanted to kill Jackson on the way into the funeral, but he couldn't get close enough. And so he positioned himself outside of the Capitol, and as as, uh, Andrew Jackson was walking out, Lawrence stepped out behind him, pulled a pistol from out of his jacket, pointed the pistol at Jackson's back, and pulled the trigger. And the gun misfired, which doesn't happen all that often. Um, Presumably the bullet, just like everybody else on the planet, was just terrified of Andrew Jackson and was like, I'm not going in there. So the guy, so Lawrence pulls out a second pistol. And by this time, Jackson has kind of figured out what, what has happened. He turned around and is facing Lawrence as Lawrence pulls out his backup pistol, points that gun straight into Jackson's chest, pulls the trigger. That gun also misfires. And at this point, by the way, the the odds of those two particular pistols misfiring, they were both in perfect working condition, and later there was an analysis done on them. It was determined that the odds of both of those guns misfiring the way that they did was 125,000 to 1. 125,000 to one. So um, Jackson's response to this, of course, as a 67-year-old man, is to jump on top of Lawrence and beat him violently with his cane. And it took several other senators around, one of them being Davy Crockett. Yep, that Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier, had to pull 67-year-old president off of his assassin and haul this dude away. Um, So this is where it gets kind of interesting because I mentioned that uh, Lawrence was a a, a house painter. So a few months before, he had painted the home of somebody named George Poindexter. George, George Poindexter was a senator from Mississippi, and he was a hated rival of Andrew Jackson. Um, in fact, Martin Van Buren reportedly carried a gun when he went to meet with Congress because of threats that had been made by George Poindexter. He was kind of a flamboyant dude himself, and I mean, kind of funny now to threaten the, the vice president of the United States, but... Um, Andrew Jackson became paranoid and f- and kind of decided, I think that this uh, Poindexter dude set up the whole thing. He had homeboy paint his house, saw that he was a little bit crazy, and planted these ideas and got him to uh, come try to kill me. 
And Andrew Jackson died believing that. He became extremely paranoid after that, and it changed the way that he lived his life. Um, this was kind of an interesting time in history because the Second Bank of the United States was up for recharter. It was ultimately not rechartered. Uh, Andrew Jackson and his administration killed the Second Bank of the United States, much to the chagrin of Alexander Hamilton, who had been dead for many years and now lives on Broadway. Um, the point is, what is the point? The point is, <clears throat> excuse me, the point is, there is no evidence that Poindexter actually planned the assault or put crazy pants up to it. But Andrew Jackson became paranoid in his later years and uh, thought that that might be the case. So I want to talk a little bit about conspiracy theories in general. Just for, I'm going to pause here for a second and we're going to move on because I, like most of you, love a good conspiracy theory. There's something, I don't know what it is, but something just, it just feels, it just tastes so good in your mouth to be, t- oh, it's gross, to talk, of, to think about, I'm the only one who knows this. 9-11 was an inside job and I'm the only one who's aware of it. Or JFK was actually murdered by Jackie and she fired the bullet all the way around the world and it came back on the other side. Or there's any number of conspiracy theories out there. Um, the problem with conspiracy theories is that sometimes they're true. And so if you find one or two that actually turned out to be the case, like when it was discovered that the JFK administration, except for JFK, um, they had plans to carry out attacks on, basically terrorist attacks, on U.S. citizens and blame it on their uh, political adversaries so that they could get into war. Um, that was based, that was, that's been declassified. That order got all the way to JFK's desk and he vetoed it. So now you have a government that is, you know, can willingly go after its own citizens and make it look like other people did it. Right? So then you start to distrust the government. Then 9-11 happens and you're like, you know what, man? I've been saying this for a long time. The government's out to get us. They want to get us into war. And don't and make no mistake, the government is out to get you. They do want to take us to war and they want to take every last dollar that you have in your pocket. Um, the reason I don't believe 9-11 was an inside job is not because the government is benevolent and they want to take care of us. That's absolutely not true. It's because I'm going to look at the federal government who can't, they actually haven't balanced a budget since Andrew Jackson. That was in the 1830s. He's the last president to have a balanced budget. Um, they're running Medicare into the ground. They're running Social Security into the ground. The post office they've already killed. You think they can carry out an international conspiracy like 9-11 and keep that quiet for 19 years? No. They wouldn't have been able to carry it out in the first place. And if they did, they would have immediately blabbed it or somebody on their deathbed in the last, you know, they'd have to have several people who knew about it. So everybody's going to keep quiet? No, I don't think so. Point is, Conspiracy theories are a lot of fun to think about, and they can be sort of a mental playground where you can exercise your your brain muscles. Great. Um, but if you're going to get into, if you're going to be on Facebook telling me about how the moon landings were a hoax and how um, this virus is a hoax created in a Chinese lab and that they're using it to bring our economy to its knees or they want to see how long they can keep us inside or uh, the, that's, you know, big fast food, Burger King created a virus so that we'd have to stay inside and order their fast food. I mean, I need more evidence. That being said, I don't want to sit too long on the conspiracy theory thing. That's not why we're here. I just wanted to talk about some interesting stories. When you have crazy pants 
who tries to assassinate President Crazy Pants, and then Davy Crockett steps in and pulls President Crazy Pants off of Crazy Pants. Um, that's an interesting story. And I think if we had more stories like this in history that we focused on, we might be able to get people to pay a little more attention to it. Um, there's also a different side of this, which I want to shift gears for a second and talk about Michelangelo, right? Not the, not the artist, but the Ninja Turtle. No, actually the artist. Um, Michelangelo, and, and this will all, hopefully we can bring this all back together here at the end, but Michelangelo was actually in his time, he's one of the, uh, seems like few artists who was celebrated in his time. Most of them have to die and be gone for a hundred years before people realize how great they are. But in his time, he was recognized as maybe the greatest artist in the world. He's still highly regarded as one of the best, best artists everywhere. And um, his Sistine Chapel ceiling is probably the most famous thing. Also the David statue. Um, you guys know who Michelangelo is, right? So there's, there's some stuff about Michelangelo that I did not know. One of the things, I'm, I'm fascinated by the parts of history that are near misses, right? Which is part of why we just talked about a failed presidential assassination. How would the world be different if Andrew Jackson had been assassinated by crazy pants? I don't know. Maybe everything would be the same, or maybe Martin Van Buren would have um, rechartered the National Bank, and maybe we would have a completely different economy. I have no idea. But um, Michelangelo sort of had a near miss in a different way. His mother had a prolonged illness, and she died when he was six. And that obviously is tragic, but it also was instrumental in his development as an artist because he got sent to live with a nanny and her husband. And her husband was a stonecutter, and Michelangelo would go to work with him. And he said later that that was where he became fascinated with marble. And marble was his favorite thing to use. He actually, despite the fact that he has some of the most famous paintings in the history of the world, he, he considered painting to be sort of a lazy thing. He, would, he was really into sculpting. Um, and it makes you think, if his mother hadn't died when he was young and he hadn't been sent to live with the nanny, or if he had been sent to live with a different nanny, or maybe if the nanny had married a different man, or if the man had chosen a different profession, all these things had to add up to him going to work in a stone quarry, becoming fascinated with marble, and then spending his life building amazing things out of marble. Um, also, he had a weird family history where um, today we would probably diagnose him as being on the, the spectrum. He was autistic or um, at the very least had Asperger's, but he was high functioning. He was antisocial. He was irritable. Um, many people said it was hard to have a conversation with him and they would be talking to him and in the middle of their sentence. He would just turn and walk away. Uh, had very few friends. His own brother, when his brother died, he didn't go to his, friend, his brother's funeral. And he liked the brother. He just didn't want to be around all the people. He was also very cerebral and he was a perfectionist. And most people said he would sort of lived in his own space. He was preoccup preoccupied with his own reality. So if you take these two things that, you know, one is a tragedy and the other is a personality uh, attribute that we try to kind of get people away from right now. And, and you know, sometimes we medicate our kids. If And I, I understand, I'm not saying that if you have a, a child who is autistic or has behavioral issues that um, medication is, is never the right way to go. But, you know, if Michelangelo had been born today with the set of attributes that he had, 
he might have been sent to some sort of therapy, or at the very least, when his parents put him to bed, they would be like, what is going on with that kid? We got to fix him. And yet, he became one of the greatest ever at what he did, specifically because of these two things that sort of went wrong for him. So the point of that is, his what you might call flaws and traumas made him great. He used what he had for greatness. Um, You can make the same argument for Andrew Jackson. He was crazy in his own way, but he was incredibly stubborn and sort of did things his own way. In fact, when he was leaving uh, the presidency, he was asked if he had any regrets, and he said he had two regrets. One was that he did not shoot Henry Clay dead, Henry Clay was one of his political rivals who was the Secretary of State for a while. And number two was that he did not have John C. Calhoun hanged. John C. Calhoun was his vice president for his first term. Um, Clearly, that guy's a sociopath. If you think the guy we have in the White House right now uh, just can't shut up to get out of his own way, I give you Andrew Jackson. But those flaws are what made him great. It's hard to make the same argument for crazy pants because, you know, crazy is what made him crazy. But if nothing else, he gave us a really good story. So the whole point is, we talked before how, you know, dark times, the world's ending, everything's on fire, the koalas are dead. And the pandas live on, mocking us. Yet the koalas are all dead and buried and barbecued. Um, In the darkest times, that's when we need the most... um, I don't know, maybe interesting. I was going to say light, but I don't know if it's going to be light in all cases. The point is, whatever your flaws are, whatever weakness it is that you're trying to get over, take a look at it again, and maybe there's a flaw there that we need right now, or that you need right now, or that somebody needs right now. Maybe the thing that you think makes you weak is the thing that makes you interesting and different. And maybe that will bring you not to the place where you thought you wanted to go, but to a better place. Um, man, it's, it feels really preachy at the end. Did it feel? Oh, why did I even ask you? It. I don't want to. I don't want to make it. This isn't Sunday school. I don't want people to feel like they're. Were you even listening? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, we're glad that we're just glad that you're here with us today, Timothy. We appreciate you taking a break from whatever you're doing last week. Um, all right. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at the Drive Home One, and um, stay tuned. We'll come up with something hopefully a little different next week. We're just trying out a few different formats and things here, and uh, your feedback is always welcome. And I love you all, and hope you have a great week. Well, I do. I love them. I I don't know all of them. So actually, our our um, we get reports on who's listening, not like your name or what you look like or anything, but the places where the episodes are listened. And we've got some people. We've had a few downloads in Germany. We've had some in Indonesia, um, all throughout the United States, a whole bunch of different states. It's been we've had a much bigger response than I ever thought we were going to get to this. So thank you to those who were here for the first week. This is about as good as it's going to get. So if you're waiting around for it to get better, I apologize. It just won't. Um, But please do find us on Twitter at the Drive Home One and let us know what you think. And we'll talk soon. Bye.